Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. When it comes to the the practice, I'll call it, of preaching the Word, there's, there's very little that I can do. I, I can't do much. I can prepare. I can share a message with you. I can speak passionately to the points. But I cannot inspire your hearts. I can do very little in that regard. But where I can do very little, the Holy Spirit can do a lot. And, and in, in this area, I am weak, but I realize the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that he has touched your hearts over these last several weeks and, and that he is moving in your life with this idea that at all costs, we need to be active in evangelizing the world around us. Now, when I say that we need to be active in evangelizing the world around us, I don't know what thoughts conjure in your mind, what you, you know, what immediately comes to mind for you. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, you're looking at uh, Pastor Lisa and myself, or you're thinking about missionaries that you've known through the years, or different things like that, or evangelists, or people that traveled uh, full-time in the gospel ministry, and things like that, and you're going, you know what, Pastor, I just don't, I don't really see that in my future. So I, I don't know that there's necessarily a calling on my life, but I assure you today that there is a calling on your life for the spread of the gospel. And, and I pray that he's touched your heart, the Holy Spirit has touched your heart over these last several messages and weeks, not necessarily to forsake all resemblances of the life that you now live but more that you would become sensitive to and available to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in being used by the Lord as a witness as I was thinking about this passage and this message today I was also thinking about uh, Acts chapter 3 Acts chapter 3 is a very exciting chapter in the Bible uh, as it begins to tell some narratives of, of the working of the Holy Spirit through the disciples uh, there in the early church and there's one account in particular there in Acts chapter 3 that's not our text for today you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5 if you'd like but this is this is a little side note here uh, but it, in Acts chapter 3, it says that the apostles were going to the temple at the time of prayer. We read other places in Scripture that they went to the temple as was their custom. In other words, it was a part of their routine lives. It was something that they did on a consistent and regular basis. And it was as they were engaged in this consistent and routine activity that the Holy Spirit showed up and did something amazing. Just in the routine, the rhythms of life, if you will. How many of you have a pretty... A pretty predictable schedule through the week you know 
Monday is what Monday is and Tuesday and each day successively brings what it brings and it has brought for weeks on end, maybe months or years even. And, and you know, we get hung in that routine and we think, well, Lord, I'm just, I'm just a regular person. I'm just an average guy. There's nothing much that, you know, there's not a lot of variance in my life here that brings this availability to witness. But in Acts chapter 3, it says of the apostles that they were going, basically we could interpret this to say, they were engaged in the routines of life, the rhythms of life. And there they had a divine appointment. Wasn't a big interruption to the schedule. It wasn't something they were doing out of the ordinary, but it was as they were going through the routines of life, it says they saw a man sitting by the gate begging. And then Peter looked at him and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I you in the name of Jesus rise and walk and the word says that they went running and leaping and praising God the man was healed I'm telling you today church that every place that you go everywhere that you place your foot there is someone there that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ and if we would simply be willing sensitive and obedient to the leadership of the spirit we could see miracles on the regular as people are being set free and saved and delivered by the power of the Holy Spirit so if you've got your spot there in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 13 and 14 today as we conclude this series at all costs. And I'm just going to go right straight to the, the heart of the message here and say that, you know, it's up to you and I to share the gospel message at all costs because it is our responsibility. It's our, we, you know, we signed up for this, you know. You ever been in a situation and you got, you know, laden with some tasks or responsibilities or things like that, and you're like, oh, I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I thought I was getting into. I don't know what you thought you were getting into, but you are no longer your own. You have been bought with a price. When you, when you surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ, it's not about you anymore. It's not about you anymore. It's about him and the life we now live in the flesh. We live to bring glory and praise to the name of Jesus. We live to bring honor to his name and to share his glory with those around us. That's You did sign up for it. And in, in the word... To underscore this idea that sharing the gospel is our responsibility, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus likens us to a couple of elements here in the world uh, with which we're very familiar. Most of us have used, or some of, uh, all of us use one of them every day, and most of us use the other every day as well. And he likens us metaphorically to a couple of elements here in this, in this life, in this world with which we regularly interact and engage with. And he proclaimed to us that you, me, us, we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. Now, Pastor Lisa read earlier Jesus saying of himself, I am the light of the world. 
John's prologue to his gospel in John chapter 1 says the light speaking of Christ shined in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not but there came a transitional point in Jesus ministry where he began to speak to his disciples he had he had said to that point I am the light of the world I am the light of the world I am the light of the world and now he transitions and he says you are the light of the world in other words I'm here now and I'm executing the responsibilities of my priestly office here on earth but there's coming a transitional moment where I am going back to heaven where I came from and I'm leaving you here to do my bidding and to take care of my business of evangelizing the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ now Matthew chapter 5 Beginning in verse 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, we're not going to labor on that B portion of the verse there very long because that's not the point of the message today. But it does bear noting today that Jesus says that if we have lost our saltiness, if, if we have lost our effect, in other words, then we're good for nothing than to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Jesus continues and says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, both salt and light were indispensable to life in ancient Palestine. When Jesus is here speaking to these people, these two metaphors teach two different but very related things to us today. So I'm going to hit you first of all with some salty thoughts. Is that okay? You say, oh, pastor, I'm not sure that's appropriate for the pulpit. No, I'm, I'm going to share some salty thoughts here with you. For, for the most part, the value of the idea that Jesus would liken the believer's role in this world to salt is lost on our generation. How many of you have salt in your life, on your table, in your pantry, in the glove box of your car? Come on, somebody. Am I the only one? Come on, I got to have a stash. You know, and we just got it laying around everywhere. And the reason I say that it's lost on us sometimes is because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly inexpensive element in our lives, isn't it? I mean, you can go off and buy a whole pound of salt for, what, 50-some cents? It just depends on what name brand. I mean, if you're snooty, you might need to pay 75, 80 cents a pound for the name brand. But if you're good with the generic or the store brand, you can get on down there real cheap, Right? But, you know, we've got to understand the word the way that the original hearers of the word understood the word. And in, that, in the day that Jesus spoke these words, in the society to which this was first presented, salt was actually quite valuable. Because of the mining processes and the, everything that it had to go through to get to be a usable product, the value of salt in that time was actually, in a lot of cases, used as a currency. 
Like you got some dollar bills, they had some salt block. You know what I'm saying? They, it was used as a currency. As a matter of fact, it was even used as a currency in, in ancient times in the slave trade. They would actually trade you some salt for a servant. Because you've, you've all heard the expression before of a lazy person that that person's not worth their salt, right? Yeah, how many of you ever heard that? And the reason that is, is because the, the origin of that is that that person would have been purchased in, into indentured servitude with salt. So in other words, they weren't worth the salt that I spent to get them here. But that, that's where that, so we see, you begin to see the value of that. And I emphasize this today because we've begun underscoring the kind of investments that we as believers need to make when it comes to carrying the gospel to the world. And we've got to place the same value and emphasis on the words of Jesus that the original hearers understood. Not just how it relates in our modern lives and in our modern society. He, he was not suggesting that their position of salt was something that was insignificant or invaluable. As a matter of fact, it was quite the opposite. Salt was very costly and salt was coveted. So the calling here is to something that is precious. It's to something that is valuable. And here's a couple of, here's a couple of characteristics of salt. Number one is that salt was the most common of all preservatives in the ancient world. It, it, would, it killed germs and it destroyed bacteria that would cause food to go to the bad. And you could preserve things in the salt. Long before we had all the chemicals in our food that we can't pronounce or the modern conveniences of refrigeration, salt had to be applied to many, many food sources as a source of preservation. Now, I got to tell y'all, I am from Coleraine, North Carolina. Might not mean anything to you, but I know that that is the, has been in times past, like the herring fishing capital of the world. And, and they would haul those fish in, and they would put them in big vats, and they would salt those fish. Any of you ever had any corned herring? My God. I'm sorry, y'all. I, just, I, just, mm. I felt that in my spirit. You know what I'm saying? Good stuff, good stuff. And, 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 and they would, but it was, a, it was a means of preservation, now it's just become a preferential way to eat fish because you could refrigerate them, you could do all these other things to them. But then it was a means of preservation. It was a necessity. And, and, and because, you know, in the ancient times, you got to understand, they lacked the modern preservation methods that we have. So the ancients used salt to keep the food as fresh as possible for as long as possible. And what is being said here to you and I is that there should be something about your life and mine that makes the world around us a little less rotten. There should be something about your presence in the home, in the workplace, in the marketplace that makes the world around us a little less rotten. There should be a preserving characteristic about our presence. 
Maybe there's a little less profanity when you're around because everybody knows that you don't roll that way. You don't have to walk around with this judgmental air that I'm a Christian and I'm this and I'm that. I'm telling you there can be enough of the presence of God in your life that it's discernible even to those who don't know it. And they will honor and they will reverence or they will try to antagonize. But either way, they recognize. They're going to see Christ in you. Maybe, maybe, there's, maybe there's a little more righteousness and nobility when you're around because of the preserving effect of your presence. I'm talking to you in a concluding message about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ at all cost and recognizing that the baton has been passed to us from our Lord and Savior that in this earth we are the salt, we are the preservative, we are the thing that keeps the rot from around us. There's a righteous effect. There should be something about our lives, not because we run around telling everyone that we're a Christian, and we'll get to that in a minute, but just because of our nature of being in Christ, it should have a preserving effect on the world around us. Uh, Pastor Lisa and myself were sitting in a car dealership once upon a time, and no, no bad light on anybody who's in that industry. We love you. We appreciate you, but they were trying to run a hustle on us. I know you cannot imagine that. And we won't buy him. And finally, he looked at me and he said, What do you do? I said, We pastor a church. He said, um, I'll be. I'll be right back. i got to go talk to my manager. He left. He came back with an entirely different deal structure. <laughs> Did, right? Yeah. And, and he came back with it because he realized that, you know, th these, these people, there's something different there. About, we didn't come in and say, hey, I'm the man of God. I'm here for a good deal today. No, none of that. We just came in and sat there. But there was something there that bore witness that, you know, that Christ was in us, that there was a difference. And I'm telling you that there should be something about our lives as well that bears witness to the reality of Christ and the working of the finished work of his grace in us that makes a difference in the way those around us perceive us. So secondly, salt, of course is also a seasoning. I'm not going to overstate this point, but very simply, I want to say to you today that uh, life for those around us should be seasoned with a little better flavor because they know us. I'm going to say that again. Life for those around us should be seasoned with a little better flavor because they know us. Someone's experience with a believer is one from which they should never walk away and say, wow, that's a bitter person. No. They should always walk away and say, man, they are savory people. 
They, they are, there's something that's seasoning their lives. There's something that's flavoring their experience here that is different than what I have. And there should be something about your life that makes their lives better. In many ways, here's the deal. And this is why I said we were going to come back to this earlier when I said that we're, you know, we don't have to run around telling everybody that we're Christians. In many ways, salt operates secretly without commanding attention. Last night, I got home and I started prepping some things that we're going to have for lunch today. And Pastor Lisa and I were in there working. We were getting the meat ready and everything. Put a little salt in there. And right now, in the darkness of my refrigerator, even when I can't see it, it's working. Uh, e- even, even now, I can't, I can't see it. It's not shouting at me. It's not wearing a label. It doesn't have the special bumper sticker on its car. But it's working. It's working. It's moving. And likewise, believers influence society in ways that cannot always be observed. They have historically influenced governments in positive ways. The teachings of Christ and his followers have impacted much of the world and its laws. Just working secretly, quietly, permeating the society around them. You know, there's... On that point, though, there, there's a truth that if you have to walk in a room and always tell somebody who you are, there's a good chance you're probably not. If the only way for them to know who you are is by what you claim, then there's a good chance that you're not what you claim. On a simpler level, though, the lifestyle of Jesus' followers affect how people live their daily lives. And in in stating that believers are the salt of the earth, then Jesus indicates that through their daily lives, believers can demonstrate the validity that is compelling to people. Mm. I, I enjoy being around them. Those are good people. It's discernible. They have pure hearts. They're honest. This is just simple stuff, church. Simple stuff, but it's lost on a lot of our society, and sadly, it's lost in a lot of our church. So now I'm going to move on from from, uh, uh, salty thoughts to some revelatory rays. Verse 14, Jesus says that you're the light of the world. Unlike salt, now, light operates in ways that are seen. We, we see the effects of light. light. Light is used to make things visible that are not. Light illuminates and serves as a guide. It can also be used to warn of dangers that are lurking in the darkness. I thank God for light. Do you thank God for light? You gotta, you gotta imagine. A, we again. Here's a, here's a scenario where we're so accustomed to something that we don't really realize the full value and the weight of what's being said here because we have the we have the conveniences of synthetic light that we can walk into a room and we can push a button we can flip a switch we can we can do all these things and you know we can walk in say let there be light and there's light there. 
But in the ancient civilizations, they didn't have those conveniences, so they they understood this statement a little bit different than you and I did. They knew what it was like to bumble around in the dark. They knew what it was like to be in places where there wasn't any light. As a matter of fact, for most of us here living in proximity to the city, we really don't know what it's like to be in the dark. Just because of the light pollution that's all around us. I mean, we we may have never truly been in the dark. But these people knew what it was to be in the dark. And they knew the power. They understood the the weight and the power of light even better than, than we do. And here again is that element that we're so readily familiar with that sometimes we lose the significance of. But because the ancient world there didn't, didn't have the conveniences that we have, darkness made things so much more difficult for people than we can readily appreciate. My point, you say, well, Pastor, what's the correlation? My point in saying that is that there are people who are living around you in darkness. And life is incredibly more difficult for them than it needs to be. I mean, they are, they are rambling through life, finding things, finding hazards, finding dangers with their spiritual pinky toe. And it hurts. And it's hard. And it's frustrating. And all these things. And what they need is someone in whose life the light of Christ has shown to come into their lives and begin a revelatory work under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit that helps them see more clearly the dangers and the hazards that are in this life so that they can avoid the pitfalls this life brings. Christians are the only light of God that's visible in this lost world. While we have synthetic light sources that provide illumination for us in the physical, there are no such things in the spirit world. There's no, there's no substitute. There's no gen pack. There's no light set. There's nothing we can put up to help show we are the light. That's it. That's all there is. And if we're not radiating the glory of Christ, then it's not being shown. You understand that? We are, Jesus said, you are, speaking to us, the light of the world. And it's vital that the world sees the difference that Jesus can make in a life. We look at Philippians chapter 2 and beginning in verse 14, the Apostle Paul gives us a wonderful illustration of what a life can look like as a light of Christ. And he says this, Philippians chapter 2 verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing. We'll let that sink in for a moment. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as the light of the world, holding fast to the word of life 
so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ Jesus that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Jesus stated that light must be put in a place where it can be seen so that those who need it can benefit from it. Nobody lights a candle and puts it under a basket. No, nobody does that. You light it and you set it on the lampstand so that, it, so that you can see by the light. Church, we need to be a light in this world. We need to be a light in this world. How are you going to position yourself today? How are you going to position yourself tomorrow? Think about that for just a minute. How are you actively positioning yourself so that your light can be seen by those around you who don't know the glory of God? Who have not tasted and seen that he's good. How are you positioning yourself so that the glory of God can be revealed in an unbelieving world? Believers have to determine that they are going to influence the world as they are intended to. And this requires investing. At all costs, I, I've got to realize in a moment when, when, when my personal stuff We'll just call it that. Seems to be transgressed. That the primary, the primary concern in that moment is not that I be vindicated. Do you understand that? As a believer, I'm, I'm just talking real with you this morning. As a believer, when you feel transgressed as an individual, the primary concern in that moment should not be how shall I be vindicated? The primary concern for you and I should be how shall God be glorified in my life? How, how are other people going to see Christ in me because of what I'm going through? Now, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Just, and it, it takes so little. Just, you say, well, Pastor, you're really overstating this. No, I'm not. Because I have seen people cover their lamp up and storm to the counter in Burger King because the pickles was left off their burger. <laughs> and you think I'm kidding, but I'm not. And just saying, sweet Lord. I mean, what if somebody really did something to you? You know, you, you would come completely unglued. I mean, your candle might just snuff right out. But there's no glorifying God in that. There, God's not getting any glory out of that. You know, we, we, we have got to give attention to the quality of our witness and dedicate ourselves to being radiant, holy people that can be recognized as being called out of the darkness that we once abode in. You know, here's, here's the thing, and I've got to mention this before we move on. We, we have been taught in our society and in, in the popular veins of Christianity that what it means for what it means for a believer to be salt and light in this generation is that we advocate for or against issues. We, that's, that's how we've been taught that it means to be salt and light in the world. 
is that, you know, if, if you were really a Christian, you would have this certain type of bumper sticker on your car. You would wear this certain type of T-shirt. You would, you would say these certain things because they advocate a specific way on an issue. Pro-life, pro-abortion, pro, you know, pro-this, pro-that, you know, whatever, back and forth. And we've been taught that that is the epitome of being salt and light in our world. No, that's how you start arguments. That's it. I mean, all we bring to the table in that is an opposing point of view that we, that we argue back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And as a matter of fact, if we're not even careful about it, we as believers can get just as mean and nasty on this side of the coin as the other people, the godless, sinner, heinous people that we're arguing against. We can get just as mean and nasty over here as they were over here. And the salt's not preserving and the light's not shining, but we're calling ourselves salt and light because we're advocating for an issue. But being salt and light is not about advocating for an issue. It's about being an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven and letting the glory of God radiate from our lives everywhere that we go, in every situation. Let me tell you something. I've got friends, you've got friends. When I read their social media posts, at best, sometimes my eyes roll. At the worst case scenario, it boils my blood. Because I just think to myself, how in the world can any self-respecting person claim that they believe that way? I just don't get it. But I tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to start an argument with them over it. I'm not going to berate them publicly for their point of view on a social media platform. When I see them in the street, I'm going to love them. I'm going to respect them as another human being. I'm going to love them with the love of Christ because we've got to reflect back, and I know you're probably tired of hearing it at this point, but you shouldn't be, that even while we were yet sinners, God loved us so much that he sent his only son into this world to die for us. Not when we were in agreement with him, but when we were living according to the carnal mind that is at enmity against God. That's the point we were when Christ loved us so much that he laid down his life for us. Drop your petty argument. Love people. Let the glory of God radiate through your life. Sooner or later, they might actually ask you and care why you think the way you think. And then you can have an opportunity to get to the crux of the matter and say, because I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. I believe this is the word of Christ. And I'm devoted to following the word of God for my life. And listen. Because people matter to God, believers must invest in them. And investing in people requires many things, including our time, our resources, our prayer, our study, and a desire to understand the lives of the people that we know. And believers have to commit to making the necessary sacrifices in bringing Christ to lost people. 
You know, we, sometimes we get that backwards. We, we just, we simply focus or we're, we're just tunnel vision on that. We want to bring people to Christ. Sometimes in order to bring people to Christ, we've got to take Christ to the people. And, and we've got to be, if we're not taking Christ to the people in our own presence, in our own witness, in our own life testimony, there is a, not a chance I, I can't even think of the chance right now. But there's not a chance that we're going to bring them to Christ if they don't see us bringing Christ to them first. Does that make sense? You, did you get that? Listen, it may involve devoting time to ministry that we would typically pass by. In, in, in short, it may involve day-to-day -day life choices praying to be met with divine appointments. In investing in people may involve sacrificing material resources as well. At times, we may need to offer the money that we would have typically spent on ourselves to bring about an eternal end, which are definitely more important. Letting go of our material possessions is, is often essential to seeing God's kingdom advance. Regularly praying for those who do not know that Jesus is crucial. Can I remind you again, church, that we have Unite Worship and Prayer Gathering this Wednesday night at 7 p.m. I encourage you to be here. I encourage you to come and let's celebrate together as people are being baptized, as people are making that bold proclamation of faith that I've surrendered my heart and life to Jesus. Let's celebrate them and let's pray for some more. And believe God for an increase. Regularly praying for those who don't know Jesus is crucial because time spent in prayer can change their eternal destinies. Consequently, it, it also changes us. It makes us more pliable in God's hands to be moved and molded and shaped into what he's trying to make us be. Listen, it, it's, it's a lot harder to fly off the handle with somebody that you've been praying for. It's a lot harder to let your witness be tarnished when you've been praying and saying, God, help me be a witness to them. The more we pray for those who don't know Christ, the more our burden for them will increase. Investing involves uh, determining to learn about people who come into our daily paths. Now, this is one thing that I really appreciate about Pastor Lisa so much. I... I have a low intolerance, a low tolerance level for, for dumb. And when I see it, I often feel the need to comment on it. And that's, I'm, I'm asking Jesus to help me with that. And he is. Because I've told you several times that the voice of the Holy Spirit and the voice of my wife often sound strangely familiar similar but she will often say to me honey you have no idea what they're going through 
You, you don't know what they've been dealing with, what they've been going through. You don't know why they do the things they do, what makes them think the way they think, why they're, why they're acting the way that they're acting, behaving the way they're behaving. You don't know that. Calm down. Pray for them. And we need to engage in that, in that practice of getting to know the people because people's lives are often filled with significant challenges and some may be in the midst of pain and trouble and we'll never know how we can minister to them unless we take the time to know them. You know what's one of the most tragic things? You know, I've shared some tragic things that I've heard in the course of this series, but the next most tragic thing to the thing I shared a couple of weeks ago that I've ever heard was when I say to people, hey, you need to go out in the world and you need to witness to people and you need to share the love of Christ with them and all those things. And then somebody looks at me and says, well, I'd love to, but all my friends are in church. Fantastic. It's time to grow your friend base. It's time to expand. It's time to reach out of your comfort zone. It's time to move away from the familiarity that we've become so accustomed to and reach out to somebody who doesn't know Jesus and build a relationship with them that they can see the glory of God in your life and they'll come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Spending time with fellow believers is, is certainly enjoyable and we cherish that. We love it. Because we serve the same God, we have similar interests, and we have similar life goals. And we'll, we'll find it easier and more natural to fellowship with people with whom we have things in common. But the truth is, listen, investing in non-believing people for the purpose of bringing them to Christ is a choice that we have to make if we want to make a difference for the kingdom. And I don't know about you, but I want to make a difference for the kingdom. We shouldn't wait until we feel like making sacrifices. Our human nature and, and desire is selfish. We like doing the things that we like to do, and those most often dominate our lives and our time. Yet nothing will ultimately bring believers greater joy than doing the will of the Lord. And the will of the Lord for you and I, church, is that we be on our face before God, prayed up and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and going out with a bold witness and a proclamation of the truth that Jesus saves and heals and delivers and destroys the yoke of bondage in the lives of the unbeliever and sets people free. I want to invite you to stand this morning. Listen. Bringing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is the most wonderful joy a Christian can ever experience. And I want you to take time to consider a couple questions here. What kind of investment are you making in bringing people to Jesus? Very simple. What kind of investment are you making in bringing people to Jesus? Second question, what are some choices you can make every day for the sake of the kingdom? That your light shine brighter? That your saltiness be more savory? And third and finally, what investments have others made in your life 
to bring you to Christ because to whom much is given much is required at all costs church next week we're gonna put some amazing tools in your hands to help you in this effort I, I pray every one of you will be here it's gonna be a super time don't miss it you do not want to miss next Sunday morning it's gonna be incredible so be here for that we're gonna put some tools in your hand it's gonna be a capstone service for this subject that we've been talking about and we're gonna be launching some initiatives here to help us be focused on getting out and being witnesses for Jesus now I pray that Pastor Trey and his team, their song has inspired you and that it just resonates in your heart and your minds in the days to come and you're just encouraged, amen, to reach out, to reach out. Listen, the testimony is simple. I don't know if you'll be able to answer every question they ask you, okay? I, I don't know that you'll have all theological understanding to be able to break it all down but how many of you know what Jesus has done in your life show, show me yeah all of us everybody in this room you know what the Lord has done for you and all that the Lord is asking of you is that when opportunity presents itself that you're prayed up that you're full of the Holy Ghost and that you are willing to just simply say hey I see you I know what you're going through but let me tell you what the Lord's done for me and share that testimony with them offer to pray with them invite them to church and they may not accept that first invitation some people sow some people water God's business is the increase He'll do it. But the Holy Spirit needs that seed and needs that water to be able to work in drawing that person to Christ. That's our business. That's our business. That's what we're responsible for. So at all costs, let's take this gospel because it's our responsibility. The world needs it. The world needs you. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.